Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe tap-to-pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Coming up on DTNS, Facebook and Reliance Geo partner up to dominate India. What you need to know to protect your Nintendo account right now and how game development is showing the limits to the benefits of working from home. This is the Daily Tech News for April 22nd, 2020. I'm Tom Merritt. And I'm Sarah Lynn. I'm Scott Johnson. And I'm the show's producer, Roger. I, I just accidentally left out being in Los Angeles, but it was so tight the way we all did that. I like. Listen, that. we follow in line. You're like the mama <laughs> duck. <laughs> oh, dear. They've imprinted on me. Uh, you know, we were just uh, talking about kimchi and uh, we were troubleshooting Sarah's headset issues and all kinds of good stuff in Good Day Internet. Uh, become a member. Get the wider conversation at patreon.com slash DTNS. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. Facebook Messenger Kids has launched in more than 70 countries, including Brazil, India, Japan, and New Zealand. The app was previously available in Peru, Canada, and the U.S. Parents can now set an option to let let kids manage their own friend requests, with parents still receiving notifications and the ability to override. The feature is coming to the U.S. first. Parents can also soon approve an adult, like a coach or a teacher, to manage a group that their child is in. Details are out on the Motorola's upcoming Edge Plus. The $1,000 smartphone has a Snapdragon 865 chip with 12 gigabyte of LPDDD, excuse me, too many Ds, DDR5 RAM and 256 gigabyte of storage. Support for MM Wave and Sub-6 5G and a 5,000 milliamp battery compatible with 5W fast chargers. The Edge Plus also has what it calls its endless edge display. Seems a little... Hyperbole. Anyway, 6.7 inches, 10-bit OLED screen running full HD at 90 hertz for extra smooth scrolling and 90-degree turns down the sides of the phone, which uh, moves home screen and gestures to the side of the screen. The Edge Plus will be a Verizon exclusive in the U.S. when it launches on May 14th. Snap announced Tuesday its Q1 revenue came in at $462 million, up more than 44%. From the $320 million of the prior year, Snap's daily active users grew to $229 million, up 20% from last year, and the highest year-to-year user growth the company has reported since Q2 of 2017. Last month, Snap launched App Stories, which lets third-party software developers use Snap's Stories feature. 
Amazon opened its first cloud data centers in South Africa, providing faster connectivity and access to Amazon Web Services. AWS opened three different availability zones in Cape Town, providing redundancy in case of a problem at any one of these zones. Vivaldi, the browser. Uh, version 3.0 is out, including a tracking blocker that uses DuckDuckGo's block list. An ad blocker that shuts off misleading and malicious ads is also included, but is off by default. So you have to turn that on. It uses the same block Vivaldi for Android and is out of beta. And I have this uh, browser and I like it. Patreon says it brought on 50,000 new creators in March, of which average income was 60% higher than new creators in previous months. And Patreon says it is in a, quote, strong cash position. Patreon also announced the layoff of 30 employees, about 13% of its workforce. Patreon says that decision involved other factors beyond financial ones. Patreon referred to a performance review cycle conducted before the pandemic that, quote, highlighted the need for different skill sets. All right, let's talk a little more about those Netflix numbers. We got the top line numbers yesterday, Sarah, but there's more to the story. There is indeed. Netflix added 15.77 million subscribers in Q1, well past estimates, lot of new subscribers. The company reported a total of 182.9 million subscribers. That's up 22.8% year over year. The company couldn't accurately predict future subscriber growth because of the pandemic, however. It expects a spike this coming quarter, then a slowdown in growth as people come out of lockdown. Netflix also said its Q3 releases are on track since filming had been completed. Future gaps from the current pause in production will be made up with licensed content, so they're trying to pad things out best they can. Some filming has resumed in Iceland and South Korea, which will serve as models for resumption in other regions. Netflix also said its most viewed content in Q1 was Spencer Confidential, with 85 million households. The company also revised its negative cash flow down from $2 billion this year to $1 billion, and it'll raise $1 billion through a debt offering. This goes to show that the tastemakers that are buzzing on Twitter aren't necessarily representative of all the people watching things. I are you talking remember, about Tiger King? I, was not, I don't remember <laughs> my Twitter a buzz over Mark Wahlberg, Winston Duke, and uh, Spencer Confidential, uh, but way more people watched it than watched Tiger King. Well, yeah. all the olds found out it was a Spencer for Hire movie. Um, <laughs> it is, and it has Hawk in it. And they all went, whoa, my, 80, my favorite TV show from the 80s with uh, Robert Urich in it is back in movie form. I'm in. So there's a whole bunch of people that just weren't counted. They're not on Twitter. They're not on social media. They just love Spencer for hire. This is going to be that thing that people say, like, Spencer Confidential is a great example. Who watches this? And they won't know that it was, in fact, the most watched thing. Anyway, uh, enough about that. Uh, hmm. Netflix, I think, very interesting in their approach here, saying, like, yes, Obviously, the lockdowns that began in March really helped our numbers as people flooded into watching more Netflix. We're sure that's going to continue into Q2, but don't get too excited, investors. We have no more idea what's going to happen at the end of this year economically than anyone else does. And so they're not comfortable projecting positive outcomes out of all of this. Well, did, and I think you like, have to when you're Netflix because they know that it's going to be – I mean, maybe it'll – not be as bad as the worst case scenario. But if it is, the company can say, hey, guys, remember in April, we told you all of this. We're working on it. It's a long game here. Go ahead, Scott. Well, I was just going to say, if they, like they mentioned that, you know, a lot of principal filming was done for a lot of projects that are still scheduled. So all of that stuff's going to be fine. 
I don't think anybody really truly knows as much as you can plan ahead right now how production delays are going to affect everybody, Netflix and Disney and the film industry and television, both network and cable. Like they're all looking at a gap that is kind of hard to suss out. It's one thing to say something's on fire. Okay, now the fire's out. Okay, now we can go back to work and we can make this happen and get everybody in line and on time. It's not quite the same as that. You're not sure when the fire is going to go out. And when it does, turns out there's sparks in some places that may flare up again. And it could affect your schedule again. So you do the best you can. But I think it's probably impossible for them to make really concrete statements to their shareholders about where they think they're going to be even by this fall. Because nobody does. And um, I mean, everyone's hoping for best best case, obviously, best case scenarios, but they don't know any more than we do. Well, and that, that's, you know, you're right. Uh, Korea, Iceland uh, point the way to how you can resume production, but it depends on the local governments and the various regions in which Netflix is on how they're able to predict when they'll be able to go back to shooting, when they'll be allowed to go back to shooting. That is very vague in some, some areas, less so in others. Uh, and on top of that, when the economic fallout is just starting to roll through, we won't know if people have the uh, idea that they want to spend money on Netflix in October or not. Uh, they're, they're, you know, it may be fine. It may be that it, it comes back uh, strong enough uh, and people are, people are able to, to, to have that discretionary spending, but it may not. And when people are going back to work, they may say, look, I don't have time to watch Netflix because I'm actually going back to work and I need to save my money. I mean, that, that would be a rational response. Well, what's funny is uh, almost everything these days for uh, animated television shows and uh, streaming services are made in Korea now. So it'd be interesting to see if this fall, everything's animated. That's it. No more live action. Well, you could do a lot of animated from home anyway, right? So yeah, I think our future is animated. You're right. We'll see. Uh, Facebook announced it has bought a 9.99% stake in India's Reliance. Uh, Geo, we decided to call it because that's what it's called. The platforms for $5.7 billion. Whew. Uh, Geo is a subsidiary, that's J-I-O for those listening at home, of Reliance Industries, India's most valued, valued firm and largest telco. Facebook says it plans to collaborate with Geo on things like the Geo Mart e-commerce business and most uh, popular uh, smartphone app in India. Facebook's WhatsApp and Geo Mart plan to work together. Reliance uh, Geo is also, excuse me, also owns a music streaming service, Geo Savan, smartphones, broadband, on-demand, live TV service, Geo TV and payment service Geo Pay. Both Reliance Geo and Facebook are battling ByteDance's TikTok for younger users. Yeah, this is interesting to see a behemoth like Facebook have to team up uh, with what in India is a behemoth itself, uh, Reliance Geo, and and say, we can take the parts of our business, uh, Facebook's amazing platform, its ability to connect people, its worldwide dominance uh, with e-commerce, uh, music, all these things that Facebook doesn't have, and assemble a a very credible competitor to not just TikTok, but to WeChat, uh, to, to mm-hmm. be that one app that you use for everything, which is what WeChat is in China. And WeChat is starting to try to port that model to other countries. It's funny because... How long have we been saying, especially when we have, uh, you know, various international guests on the show and it's like, yeah, for whatever reason in the U.S., that whole kind of one app to rule them all thing just doesn't really happen. Uh, The U.S. users primarily use apps for different things. And so you've got 10 apps where someone who's using WeChat on the daily is like, oh, that's all just built into my one app that I use for lots of stuff. Why that's the case 
you know, it's, it's, it's habit. It's, it's, it's user base. It's, you know, there's so many factors, Contactless but tactless payments is my, what I think is the major one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But we also used to say this about social networks, like, you know, every few years, there's like another one, and it's all very trendy. And then Facebook came along and it's like, well, and that didn't happen. So if anyone can do this, it would be Facebook. Yeah, why not? I think it's, uh, this makes sense for them. But that's also a great question, Sarah. I've thought about that a lot over the years. Why are we so piecemeal about our app functionality and parts of the world are so all in one? And it's a little confusing. I don't know why we're that way. Uh, I, I really do think it's contactless payments. Uh, that is the way that WeChat worked its way in. Once you could pay for everything with WeChat, uh, that's when everybody's like, well, I'm just going to live in WeChat now. And everybody wanted to be there because that's where people were, key, were spending their money. Uh, and we're so behind on that. Uh, and and that, that, I think, is a big part of what's going on here in India. Paytm, though, has the lead. It's going to be tough for Facebook and Geo to gain that leadership in India, uh, even though Geo has a payment uh, system that, you know, GeoMart works pretty well. It's not the leader. Uh, And so they're going to have to come from behind if they want to make that work. Ars Technica has been reporting on claims of unauthorized access to Nintendo accounts. The people who are saying their accounts have been accessed claim they are not reusing passwords. And in fact, in some cases, had the account hijacked a second time after changing their password, which you think shouldn't happen. Ars Technica makes the case that the hijacks might be happening through an older account system called Nintendo Network ID, or NNID, which was used on the Wii U and 3DS. If the NNID is linked to a main Nintendo account, then changing the password on the main account would not affect access through NNID, because you didn't change the password on that account, and they're linked. Nintendo does not make it easy to change the NNID password unless you're still using your Wii U or 3DS. But a lot of people may have set up NNID and long ago got rid of those. So you have to go to the web to do it. It's buried, and even if you find the place to do it on the web, Nintendo limits passwords to eight characters chosen by Nintendo. So they're subject to being brute forced anyway. Nintendo says it's investigating this and in the meantime advises users to turn on two-factor authentication because that would just obviate the problem. If you have two-factor authentication on, it doesn't matter if they have your NNID password. They won't have your second factor. Yeah, do that no matter what. It takes literally, I don't know, eight seconds. I went and ran through it again today. Didn't finish it because I already have it, but just rip there and rip through there and do it. But that NNID thing is one of these old Nintendo relics of how they do stuff on the internet that is now biting them in the collective butt. And it's great that they're looking into it, and it's great that we have theories about how it happened, but what it really does actually boil down to is they've had bad policies in the past and still a few bad policies currently, uh, two-factor authentication being one of the good policies that they've decided to adopt, and they were a little late with that too. So what I hope comes out of this is Nintendo stops having multiple IDs and they kind of already have. It's just that now this is all, you know, it's all out there. It's all in the past maybe, but it still exists. And if that's how these, these, uh, these people are getting through, then, then that's bad. Um, maybe just maybe they'll come back and say, Hey, we did find out that there was some malicious behavior and it, it affected these servers or whatever that may still happen. But none of this gives me a lot of confidence in what is otherwise one of the great video game companies of the world and is performing so well right now. I want nothing but greatness for them, but stop doing all this dumb stuff. There's my editorial comment for the day. <laughs> there you go. Nintendo. <laughs> There's your business plan. Uh, also quick side note, if you are setting up two FA, it will tell you to use Google authenticator for the second factor, which is fine if you want to use that, but you don't have to 
anything that works like Google Authenticator, like Authy, that's what I used to do my second factor on Nintendo, uh, will work as well. So don't feel like, even though it's telling you Authenticator, uh, don't feel like you have to use that. You can try something else. Authy will work. Bloomberg sources say that Magic Leap has laid off around 1,000 people, about half of its workforce. In fact, some of those laid off people are saying on Twitter, yes, I've been laid off. Magic Leap did not confirm the specific number, but says, yes, it laid people off in order to focus its business on enterprise products. Magic Leap 2, still under development. Bloomberg sources also said Magic Leap is considering outside investment and a partnership with a large healthcare company. Magic Leap, the company, had already started to market to large healthcare and financial companies. So was kind of going through that enterprise pivot, but uh, it's a big, big bunch of layoffs. And for all the money they raised, which I believe was around $3 billion, um, kind of a sad story. Yeah. I mean, they're an interesting, they're an interesting bag, right? Like they showed so much so early that looks so promising and then they'd be like, all right, we'll let you know when this is coming out. And they, for a while, they're marketed or aimed themselves at entertainment and uh, up against things like VR, saying AR was truly the future. And mm. so a lot of us in the gaming world and those of us who cover gaming were looking at that with a lot of attention. A lot of their demos were focused around those kinds of applications. Then you see them start doing stuff that had more, I don't know, I guess, enterprise and medical use or whatever. But it still just feels like nothing's ever happened. <laughs> like, we don't have anything. I know stuff's happening. Yeah, they had a developer kit. Sure. But, you know, listen, I don't like to 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 say like, oh, they they spent three billion dollars on nothing because the reason you invest in startups is they might work, but they won't always. And it's not bad. You need you need people to be able to try stuff. And sometimes it's going to fail and it will feel like a waste of money, but it's not really a waste of money in general. So I don't focus on that so much as the fact that they had convinced all these venture capitalists with a private demo for years that nobody saw. And they're like, oh, it's amazing, but they couldn't tell us why. And all these other companies were out there putting out products and showing us what they could do. And Magic Leap was like, our stuff is so far ahead of those things, but they would never show it. And then they finally put out a developer kit and it was like, yes, yeah, it's bad, but it's not so far ahead of everything else. So mm-hmm. I, I don't want to take any pleasure in a thousand people getting laid off. Uh, But if there is a good outcome to this story, it's that we get rid of the hype and we just ignore all of that and we focus on, hey, this technology can be used in healthcare. Great. Maybe it's going to save some lives. And then that would be a very happy ending to this Magic Leap story for me. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. One of the main stumbling blocks to that Google Apple contact tracing platform we've been talking about is gauging distance. Bluetooth, not very accurate at gauging distance, but they want to use just Bluetooth because that protects your privacy. Technology Review has a good article from Patrick Hell O'Neill that goes into the challenges of using Bluetooth for contact tracing and what people are trying to do to mitigate those problems. One way to calculate distance using Bluetooth is the Received Signal Strength Indicator, or the RSSI, which is in theory proportional to distance. The more powerful the signal, the closer you are. Weaker signal, you're farther away. And you can calibrate that under controlled situations. But in practice, in an uncontrolled situation, walls, bodies, pockets, purses, even other phones can throw off the accuracy of that measurement. Also, Bluetooth can't tell if you're separated by a wall, even if the wall doesn't get in the way of the signal, if it's like a thin apartment wall, I might think you're standing right next to somebody when you can't see them because they're on the other side of an apartment wall. Uh, also, it's not good at going through floors or telling if it's, something's in a moving car either. Uh, so one way to mitigate that 
is to measure how long the connection lasts. So if, if a moving car is nearby, it won't last very long, and you can throw that one out and go, well, they probably weren't in contact with that. It was too fast. Uh, the, the other mitigations would take data from other sensors. So your light sensor could be able to tell when your phone is in a pocket or in a purse, right? Your accelerometer, your compass, your gyroscope, all could be used to detect positioning to say, wait a minute, I think that person is above you, uh, so maybe that's mm-hmm. not near you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could tell what's actually going on with the phone. Uh, there's, there's a group looking into this at MIT, uh, all of them in their own homes, trying to gauge, like, what are the patterns that we could see? Can we train machine learning to be able to tell when we see this pattern of identification? That means you're actually close uh, to somebody. So, so there may be something they come up with there. Apple and Google are tight-lipped about how they intend to deal with this, although they do say they have ways to deal with it. They just haven't been transparent about what those are. Uh, but Again, as we've talked about previously on other shows, this is supplementary to manual contact tracing. And all of mm-hmm. it requires a plan to do comprehensive testing. And the, the whole idea here, if you haven't caught up on this, is if I'm infected, I want through manual tracing and the app to be able to identify as many people as possible that I may have infected so that they can all get tested and if they get tested, they can find out, oh, I'm also infected and can do the same thing with people that they may have infected until you're able to clamp down and say, OK, these people are safe. You don't have to restrict them. That's the way out of the lockdown. That's why everybody's mm-hmm. so concerned about how these apps work and how accurate they can possibly be. Yeah, man, the ubiquity of the technology sure is a tempting thing to want to keep testing. And I kind of hope that they do. Um, but I hadn't you know, I hadn't even thought about that one that you threw out about. There's the guy next door to me in my apartment, and it looks like we're only separated yeah. by three feet. But really, he's in a whole different building technically. The, the other one that's not likely to happen often is you're back-to-back with someone with your your phone held out at the end of your arm. And it would not call that a contact because it's more than six feet apart, even though you're touching. It's complicated. Maybe yeah. through all this, too, they can make my headphones stay connected longer. Maybe after it all is done. <laughs> we can have all the tracking, but also that. It's just like, yeah, it's like how Tang came out of the space program. But, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it does seem to me that the the wider the use of this, the more they're going to be like, well, that that data doesn't really make any sense. Let's throw out some of that stuff like, okay, if Tom and I are both in bumper to bumper traffic in our cars mm-hmm. and maybe he's in, even in the passenger seat of the car just to the left of me, like, okay, maybe we'd be like pretty close to each other for like an extended period of time. Windows are up, doesn't matter. Um, that's not going to be that often. It's yeah. going to happen, but it's not going to be that often the, compared yeah. to the rest of the data that you're gathering. That's a really good point. The idea isn't to get perfect precision. The idea is to be able to get it close enough that it's usable uh, and, yeah. that, and that it's able to, to give a workable number of people that you can go out and test. Because the whole point of all of this is to then be able to test people uh, in a responsible way that says, okay, now we know people who likely might be infected. Let's find out who is and who isn't so we can keep protecting other people. Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. 
My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model in the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. The New York Times' Jason Schreier has an article up. Gaming sales are up, but production is down. Because video game sales are booming. We've talked about that plenty. Doom Eternal, Animal Crossing, etc. According to Streamlabs, Q1, Twitch streams exceeded 3 billion hours watched for the first time. So it's not just playing. People are watching them too. And yet... You're seeing game delays. Amazon delayed New World to August. Uh, Delays for updates to Final Fantasy XIV and Wasteland 3. Sony delayed The Last of Us Part 2. Sony particularly said this is because of the current challenges of printing, shipping, and selling physical copies of video games. Not everybody downloads. A lot of you folks really want physical copies. You don't trust the downloads, and they know that. So that's part of it, but it's not just the supply chain. There's also the productivity of the developers who are having to care for their children. So they don't have as many hours of the day to work as they would otherwise. Communication, they're saying, takes longer when you can't just all talk to each other in the same room. You can't go to conferences and demo your game to build excitement and strike marketing and financing deals. This hits the smaller studios particularly. There's the factor of lower disposable income coming that companies are worried about. There's also certification. Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony already take about four to six weeks to certify games for their platforms. That is taking longer right now. And there's security concerns about having people do the certifications from their own homes instead of in a secure location at Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony. Can't do mocap. That's that's another thing that you, you're not allowed to do. Uh, right there. And even voiceovers, which can be done from home, face inconsistent quality because they're not being done in the same place that they started the recording. Or, you know, maybe somebody's home studio isn't just quite up to snuff for the voiceover quality that they want. Uh, Ubisoft has addressed this by moving employees between projects as the lockdown shift. So they took people off in China, but then as China has eased up, they're putting people back on. Other developers told the New York Times that they just plan to cut features and scope to keep deadlines. But Scott, what strikes me about all of this is early on, we were saying work from home will show benefits that people didn't realize were there. And maybe we'll all work from home in the future. This is showing the other half of that, that we mentioned, which is we'll also find out what the limits of work from home are. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, it's funny. We are at that stage now where we have to start talking about hitting those limits because we've certainly seen the benefits. There's plenty of them and you could list those two. Talked about a bunch of those on the show before, but now we're seeing 
none of this is so simple in the in scale. Like if uh, I have a lot of friends in VO and do a lot of work in video games. Uh, yes, they can record in booths. Often do before all of this. Um, it kind of depends on the project. But there are some from big AAA studios that need directors there and they need people there helping you get through your lines and you've got multiple actors in the same place riffing off of each other. This is also true in animation and in the film industry, which is why some of those delays are going to be similar. They have some of the same kind of production problems. Um, for sure. Like these are brick walls we're going to run up against and we need to quantify and document what they are so that because uh, I, I, kind of what I hope happens after this, nobody's hoping that nobody ever is in the same room collaborating anymore. That would be impossible for the video game world. Those are often big floors of cubicles with developers standing up and going, come over here for a second. I want, to, I want you to see how I've solved this. And get that animator to come with you because I need him to see this as he's going to be animating it. Like that kind of collaboration, while not impossible in a remote sense, is way more difficult and you have all kinds of hurdles to get over and you can't solve it all with a zoom meeting. So, so yeah, like this is to be expected, um, you know, forgetting about supply chain issues, which, you know, you mentioned all of those before, but this is the part that's going to matter moving well into the 2021 game season, which is a big deal because we have two brand new consoles debuting at the end of this year. This mm. is supposed to be the biggest moment in gaming time for both them financially, us as gamers and developers to get their new stuff out there on new platforms. And it's all in this weird flux right now. And not everybody can do it from their basement. And maybe there, maybe there is a good excuse to be made of like, listen, we're under extreme new constraints. We want to make sure this stuff is good and it can give a team just that much more breathing room to be like, okay, what's happening right now is kind of temporary, but let's look at our timeline more realistically. You know, maybe we've been rushing some things because that's just sort of the way you've always done it based on certain deadlines. So I, you know, I have to think that there's good to come out of the fact that you know, people are, are reinventing the wheel, so to speak. Yeah. And, and things like childcare, if lockdown ends, uh, conceivably, that's not a reason not to work from home because it's like, OK, my child can now go back to school or daycare or whatever. So that's less of a problem. And also, the longer people do this, the better they get at it and start to realize, oh, this is what was causing the communication problem. If we use this Slack channel or this kind of meeting strategy or whatever, now we those some of those communication problems go away. Uh, mm -hmm. So so not all of it is is certain is like insurmountable if they if people had to stay working from home but i think there are some hard limits where people are realizing gosh this really is better in person and it is bigger it's it's harder on the larger end of the scale developers that are small little indie studios five people six people two people they're already doing this like they even have second jobs they're doing they're not even doing this full time they already know these rigors and they're doing them it's at scale things get ugly and if you're a big studio like Sony Santa Monica or Ubisoft Montreal or something like that this is like majorly impactful on how you get work done and it's and I still don't think we have all the answers but in the next few months it's going to be you know we're going to know a lot more about how they're going to do it moving forward well, if you have thoughts on this or anything that we talk about on the show or anything in general, really, you can join the conversation in our Discord, which you can join by linking to a Patreon account at patreon.com slash DTNS. Let's check out the mailbag. Let's. Ben wrote in, says, I'm a proud associate producer for the past 74 months. Uh-huh. Round of applause for Ben. 
Um, he had some thoughts about our conversation on GeForce Now leaving uh, GeForce or uh, Microsoft pulling stuff from GeForce Now. He said, with GeForce Now leaving beta last March, decided to try out the service. I've been a PC gamer, but of course there are some limitations depending on what you have hardware for, etc. What GeForce Now has allowed me to do is play all the very games that I wanted to play but maybe didn't have the PC for. Well, no longer considering if I can really run them or not with with something that's strong enough. What I find incredibly short-sighted and downright insulting, though, from game developers like Bethesda, Activision, 2K, and Rockstar, just to name a few, is that they're essentially dictating which PC I can play my games on. I already bought most of the games, which have since been removed from the service. Shouldn't matter to them if I'm playing on a local PC or on a higher-end machine somewhere else. I could understand the publisher's reaction if GeForce Now was reselling games or providing subscription access, but they're only providing hardware. The user still needs to buy games from other avenues, like Steam or the Epic Game Store. So, I can understand why Microsoft decided to pull many of their titles, since they're also setting up a hardware-based streaming solution with xCloud. But the other publishers haven't made any public plans of creating similar services. GeForce Now, in my mind, says Ben, is a much better service than Google Stadia at present. Yeah, I agree with him. Um, the Absolutely 100% agree with him. And the idea that Blizzard and these other guys won't allow their games on the platform, at least for now, uh, is obnoxious because really all you're doing is playing it on a computer and why should those companies care? But he kind of answered his own question. They haven't been public about it. I guarantee all of them are working on either deals with somebody else there's rumors about Activision Blizzard working with YouTube because they've already got another thing going with YouTube um, or making their own thing, white labeling their own tech, putting it in their own launchers. I guarantee those names he mentioned are all working on it. I'm sure of it. And that's why um, it sucks, though. And he's 100 percent right to be irritated. It bugs me, too. Oh, did you I don't know if you guys talked about this on the show, Tom, but a couple days ago or no, yesterday. Uh, GeForce Now announced that, hey, if you were a founding subscriber, which I was, uh, they're not going to do billing until June. It was supposed to be early May, and they're oh, giving nice. us a month oh, of free uh, access. Yeah, it's nice. Hmm. Anyway. Well, so it's not all bad news. No. <laughs> Shout out to patrons that are master and grandmaster levels. Speaking of good news, we love y'all, including Tim Ashman, Philip Shane, and John Atwood. We also love you, Scott Johnson. Thank you for being on our show with us today. And let folks know, what else you got cooking? Well, uh, lots and lots of things. Probably the one thing I like people to check out the most right now because it's uh, therapeutic for me. Maybe it will be for you, but I write a comic called Fred and Can at fredandcan.com. It's about a guy who loses the can of expired cream corn. And uh, this week's uh, episode shows them having a little adventure in Dungeons and Dragons. And I think Can's getting a little fed up with Fred during the lockdown. So if you want to have some fun and smile during these weird times, great place to do it. Fredandcan.com for everything else you're looking for. For me, find me at frogpants.com. I'm a Can stan. <laughs> hey, uh, Yaniv uh, <laughs> says, since you are recommending other sites for people to get distracted slash entertained at home, I wanted to mention a site for short films. It is for Latin filmmakers, but most of them have subtitles, and some of them are even in English. If not, you can practice your Spanish. The site is www.loscortos.com. That's L-O-S-C-O-R-T-O-S. It is a nonprofit organization that wants to promote filmmakers and teach filmmaking. Thank you, Yaniv. Loscortos.com is the place to go uh, to get yourself uh, some extra entertainment, help out a nonprofit, help out some filmmakers. Uh, We're taking this part of the show to you know, share the love. So send us somebody that you think is deserving of having the love shared with them to feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. 
As Tom mentioned, we do have that email address, and that is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We are also live. Did you know? Spread the good word. Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 20.30 UTC. And you can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. I'm not here tomorrow. I'll be fine. Justin Robert Young will be here with Sarah and Rich Straffolino. Talk to you then. They will. Anyway. <laughs> is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.